0: Do you see a uh, comparison between the assassination of John Kennedy and the attacks on
1: 9-11? Uh, yes, because, because well, I mean, personally, what I think, I think that was the same template. Now, of course, you know, my position is that the Mossad was the prime conspirator behind the Kennedy assassination, just as it was on 9 one
2: A warm welcome to listeners all around the world on the World Wide Web. You're listening to Signs of the Times. If you were alive in 1963, you'll no doubt remember where you were when you heard the news that John F. Kennedy had been shot. The same way that you'll never forget where you were when you heard that an airliner, and then two, had crashed into the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. It was as if the bottom had fallen out of your world. There was a feeling of hope in the United States during the Kennedy years. The war in Vietnam had yet to capture the headlines and set the young generation against their parents. The civil rights movement was growing in strength. As Bob Dylan put it, the times they were a-changing. On November twenty-second, 1963, that hope for change was crushed under a dark cloud of brain and bone that showered off the president's head. In the aftermath the Warren Commission produced a report that was an obvious cover-up. And although the majority of Americans suspected it was a cover-up, nothing was done. It was the first nail in the coffin that was to be firmly shut 38 years later. It's obvious to anyone who studies the documentary evidence that Lee Harvey Oswald was not the killer of Kennedy. It's obvious to anyone who studies the evidence that the single bullet could not have performed the magic tricks ascribed to it before it fell out of John Connolly's thigh and landed on the stretcher. It's obvious to anyone who studies the evidence that the elimination of Kennedy was not the work of a lone gunman, a solitary individual with a mental problem and an axed grind. It was the work of a group. The assassination of JFK and the attacks of 9-11 are the two greatest crimes ever committed against the American people. The two bookends of a seizure of power by the most reactionary forces in the country. We should not be surprised that the same forces were responsible for both. And it's the same force that then pushed for war in the Middle East, condemned Saddam Hussein for having weapons of mass destruction sold to him by those who would later put him on trial and who rained bombs down upon the Palestinian people. There's been much obfuscation around Kennedy's death with theories on who was responsible, ranging from the mob to anti-Castro-Cubans to the CIA to Lyndon Johnson and the oil magnets. As Laura has shown in her recent series of articles on JFK, many, many different groups hated him, felt threatened by the changes he was attempting to bring to the U.S. political system, and they each had the motive. Michael Collins Piper, in his book on the Kennedy assassination, Final Judgment, shows that, in a certain sense, all of the various explanations are correct. Each of the aforementioned groups had a hand in the assassination. What Piper demonstrates, however, is that there was another hand at play, the puppeteer who had the power to place the different groups on Dealey Plaza on that day. Michael Collins Piper is our guest on today's Signs of the Times podcast. He talked with Laura Knight earlier this week.
0: I've been doing is, 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 and it's just like kind of a personal thing for me, uh, is I've been doing like this little commemorative thing about John Kennedy. Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
0: And the reason is, I mean, this is the 43rd anniversary, and that seems to be like an odd number. You know, mostly people do commemorations on even-numbered anniversaries, you know, like 40th or 50th yeah, or 30th yeah. or whatever. 43 does seem to be an odd number, but quite a number of years ago, I had a dream and it was it was kind of an interesting dream because uh, a voice said to me in the dream that the secret is in locker 43. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so for me uh, the number 43 became kind of significant. I don't know what it means or if it means anything in particular. It could have just been a glitchy dream.
1: But anyway, he was also 43 years old, I believe, when he died, wasn't he?
0: I don't remember. I don't he was know. Born in
1: 1917.
0: 1917. So I guess that
1: would make him 46
0: then. Right? Yeah, but yeah, then but the then that would mean he was 43 when he was elected, right? Yeah. So yeah. let's see. 1917 um 1963 minus 1917 equals, yeah, 46 when he died, so that would mean he was 43 when he was elected, eh?
3: Yeah.
0: Well, anyway, so there's yeah. the 43. And, uh, but anyway, it's kind of like a personal, a personal thing for me to do it. And especially since I'm, I'm looking at the world we're living in today and comparing it to the world we would have lived in had he not been it you makes know, a big assassinated.
1: You know, I will tell you, I, I've only told a few people this. And when I say a few, I mean probably less than 20 people. Uh, maybe 25 people, been increasingly told, expanding numbers on it, but about a month before I actually started writing Final Judgment, I had a dream in which I was in the air over Dealey Plaza, and I was watching the Kennedy motorcade, and then all of a sudden, I was, like, moving down right onto the scene and watching the whole assassination take place, seeing from a vantage point, although I don't remember any of the specific details, mm. but I was seeing not only where the gunmen were, where the bullets were striking, but I was seeing in little in little graphics, in little blocks, like I was looking at a, a big collage, but I remember it's very distinct blocks. I was seeing, like who the real conspirators were
3: mm-hmm.
1: at the bigger picture. And then it pulled right down into it as though I was almost in the car with Kennedy, that close, you know, watching it happen.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And it wasn't like I was watching the Pruder film. It was like I, it was right down like if I would be on the floor almost between Kennedy and Governor Connolly.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I woke up from that dream with the feeling that I had seen everything that had happened. But I couldn't remember the specifics. And it was about a month after that that things started to fall into place for me as far as writing Final Judgment was concerned. And I really believe that that was a combination of my years of... I don't even want to call it research. Combination or a culmination of years of having... Read so much about the assassination,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and been exposed to various people in some ways. Like I used to work for John Connolly for a couple months, you know, when he ran for president, and I, and I, I knew, of course, no Mark Lane very, very well, and Fletcher Prouty, and just other people who've been connected in different ways, you know, yeah. in, in, in various aspects two or three degrees apart from the conspiracy or even people who've been implicated in the conspiracy. I've known some of these people. And it was like everything was just being put together for me.
0: Do you see a uh, comparison between the assassination of John Kennedy and the attacks on
1: 9-11? Uh, yes. Because, because well, I mean, personally, what I think... I think that was the same template. Now, of course, you know my position is that the Mossad was the prime conspirator behind the Kennedy assassination, just as it was on 9/11. And in 9/11, what we had were these phony war games
3: mm-hmm. that
1: were being conducted. These, you know, they they had these war games being conducted and. You know, people didn't know whether it was a real terrorist attack, whether it was a real hijacking of planes, or whether they were just part of the war games. Well, this is essentially what I believe is the template used in the Kennedy assassination, that there were people in the presidential security, people in the CIA perhaps, or well, definitively in the CIA, they were staging a, they thought there was going to be a phony Assassination attempts on the president—one that would be presented to the public as a very real thing—and used as a pretext to either for, or you know force Kennedy to invade Cuba. So so while one of these phony operations was being conducted, real assassins were moved into place.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: while there might have been somebody firing a blank shot from somewhere in Dealey Plaza, somebody else in Dealey Plaza. Is firing a shot, but on a bigger picture, what there's there's another aspect of it too, and that is that uh, I've heard it suggested that the Warren Commission cover up was designed to fall apart, just as people have suggested uh, that the the, the whole 911 cover up was so obviously a cover up in the first place that it's kind of a kind of a signal to the population at large that hey we can kill your president and get away with it and tell you absolute lies about it as an official government document but you can't question it because we'll call you a nut or a conspiracy theorist yeah the same thing with 911 there's so many of these little holes in the official story some of which uh, some of which you know are so obviously holes in the official story and yet the media along with the government and whoever else is playing a part in it, the actual mechanics who carried out the crime, they're all sitting back laughing and saying, hey, we got away with this. This is what we can do to you, and just imagine what what else we can do to you. We can kill your president or we can knock down your World Trade Center. We can attack your Pentagon, and you can't stop us.
0: Yeah, I, I I came to a similar conclusion myself uh, because one thing I noticed as I was going through all the material was that, you know, for example, one person will say oh, the mob did it, the mafia, and another person will say, oh, it was uh, the, the anti-Castro Cubans who did it, and then another person will say, uh, no, it was the CIA who did it, and so on and so forth. And yet what you see is a... Is a uh, conjunction of all of these elements, and yet in each of these elements, you find that, you know, some of them get killed, get bumped off, so that they can't testify for exactly. It. And, and so, so that tells you that it can't be a mob element that's in control of it, because they wouldn't bump off their own people. It can't be CIA; they wouldn't knock off their people. It can't be military; they wouldn't be knocking off their people. There is something else at the apex.
1: There's another thread, you see, and like I say, you know, and it's kind of funny because you know, a lot of people when they first heard about my book, they say, "Oh, here's another theory." Well, it's, you know, you know, there's some people, you know, say, "Oh, the KKK did it." Some people say, "Right-wing extremists did it." Some people say the Texas oil men, you know, and they set off these different categories. You know, but in fact, it, at least in terms of the the approach that I took, you can draw a definitive. Not you know, some people then say, "Oh, well, he says the Jews did it." That isn't what the book says. The book says that that you can define. You can there's a definitive, not just Israeli lobby connection, but a definitive Mossad connection.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That people either directly in association with the Mossad. Or people one step away from the Mossad, through through very definitive contacts at one point or another, were immersed or enmeshed in the whole thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And and see that's why it's not like it's. Uh, and then then there's other critics of the book have come forth and said, oh well he has now he throws the Mossad into the mix and how could all these people be interacting at one time? Well, it's actually as as I've defined it. It's actually a very, very small, tightly knit group of people with the ability to manipulate considerably larger numbers of people exactly. who may not even know for what purposes they're working. Yeah. And that's like I think what happened with Clay Shaw in <clears throat> New Orleans. Because of that movie JFK, he's taken on the image of being one of the big conspirators. Mm-hmm. Far from it. Mm-hmm far from it. He was he was involved in kind of like one little corner manipulating Lee Harvey Oswald in a couple small operations,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and I'm sure Clay Shaw had no idea that John F. Kennedy was going to be killed. You know, and yeah. since that time, you know, uh, 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 Joan Mellon has written this book uh, in defense of Jim Garrison, mm-hmm. and she, she asserts in her book, and we just have to take her word on it, that that on his deathbed, Clay Shaw essentially admitted that Jim Garrison was right. But what he said was essentially what he said, and this is a terrible misquote, or a, you know, a, a, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's far from uh, direct. It's, he said something along the lines of, uh, you know, when you get involved in things and you don't know exactly what's going on. You might do things and you don't know what the end result will be. Jim Garrison he, he was on the right track, something along those mm-hmm. lines, you know in other words, he was saying, well, yeah, I was involved in some things that were connected to the Kennedy assassination, but I didn't know they were going to kill John F. Kennedy yeah, yeah or he or after the fact he discovered that he you know he had he had been in contact with Lee Harvey Oswald doing things you know, at the request of others. So right. there's so many... That's been one of the things that's, that has happened over the years, that uh, so many people were were brought into the Kennedy assassination conspiracy unwittingly. They yeah. may have delivered a bag of cash from one place to another, and it turns out they were paying off one of the assassins but didn't know it, you know, things like that.
3: Mm-hmm. But,
1: so everybody had something to hide.
0: Well, uh, that takes me to another uh, aspect of that. For example, there is this this film that uh, I just recently watched uh, put out by uh, Wim Dankbar.
1: Yes, I haven't seen it, but I'm familiar with with some of the things he's written about. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and so I'm watching this, and basically I get the idea that it's probably true that this guy did fire the headshot, that killed Kennedy, uh, you know, or one of them. James Files, yeah. James Files, yeah. But the the entire film gives the impression that there were, you know, two or three mob hitmen in Dealey Plaza on that day, and that was the whole show. And somehow I get the impression that that wasn't the whole show, that there was possibly a mob hit team, and there could have possibly been a Mossad hit team, there could have been a CIA hit team, all these different hit teams. That were there and didn't know about each other.
1: Well, see, that's another aspect of it, exactly. That that different, yeah. The one one group, you know, but say, just just look at it this way. Say 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 it can literally be compartmentalized as one is a mob hit team, one is a CIA hit team, one is a Mossad hit team. When of course the three of the the three of them are all intertwined. Mm-hmm. But but just look at it from that perspective. Okay. Each of those teams could be told, "Okay, you're going to be here. One, one of you is, you know, and they're all operating independently. But each of them are told, when you hear the, you hear the first shot come out of the Texas School Book Depository, you take aim and fire.
0: Right.
1: And then you hear, there's that one little shot comes out of the Texas School Book Depository, and then there's a team on the grassy knoll, a team in the Dow Tex building, and a team." In the sewer, right? All those shots are fired at one time. Somebody, unless they're really bad, somebody's somebody's going to hit the target, right? And then there's going to be a backup. One of them, they're going to be told if it looks as though we need a backup, you know, or maybe one is told to only fire if it looks as though, you know, I mean, I don't need to go into details. I mean, we could spin on that forever. Mm-hmm. But what I what I tend to think in general is that that that. That was the basic model that what was used was that there was actually... And Bobby Kennedy, it's quite possible from what I've seen in some new material, Bobby Kennedy himself may have been running the phony assassination attempt because, you know, the Kennedys were playing a couple tracks with Castro, Uh you know, and they may have been... One of their backup ideas was to... At least Bobby Kennedy may have set this thing up to have a phony assassination attempt on Kennedy, his brother, that would be traced back to, you know, a pro-Castro agitator who escaped to Cuba. And then, of course, because, of course, it wasn't officially going to be traced back to Oswald. It was going to be traced back to Alec Heidel, you know? Phony identity, you know, the whole deal. But in any case, then, of course, the real assassins stepped into place right. and fired real shots. And, of course, even Frank Sturgis, for example. Now, there's a good example. He is often cast in the role of kind of like a CIA, CIA coordinator for anti-Castro Cubans. That's the general perception of him. But, you know, it's very interesting. You actually look at a lot of the material very closely look at a lot of the material surrounding frank sturgis and it's not really clear that he was answering directly to the cia
3: mm-hmm.
1: he was moving in cia circles right but he was also this is the thing about it he, he was also moving in Mossad circles oh boy at the same time so so even and and his source of funding his source of funding was always very, very unclear, but all the indications are that that it was Jewish organized crime money, with Lansky and Mossad connections.
0: Right.
1: So, so even there, it's kind of like just a little bit, a little bit out of the realm that most people understand, because that whole aspect of the Mossad and Kennedy's fight with Israel over nuclear weapons, that was buried for so long that no one ever had any reason to look in that direction you know i mean so so even if people did catch on to frank sturgis's uh frank sturgis's mossad connections they would say well that doesn't mean anything because you know kennedy was a good friend of israel blah 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 well which was not the case at all so you know it's like all these little little areas you know i i uh I, uh, now you have a, yeah, you have the fifth or the, the most recent edition of right. Final Judgment. You, you, you see those different charts I've laid together there. Mm-hmm. And it's about as close as I've been able to try to conceptualize it. You know, and, and it's that, in that one chart I have in the book, right, it's a box, there's all sorts of boxes interconnected with lines. There's that one area that you always see talked about, but those Israeli connections are always, they are. Kind of well, just not discuss. Yeah. It's not even a matter of suppressing them. It's just a matter of just not talking about. Them, you know, right? It's not, yeah, and and, and and of course, in some ways, that's very very comfortable. You know, it's it's in you know it's in the comfort zone. You know, and I understand that, but for for a lot of people, but you know, I, and they always say to me, a lot of people say, well, you have an axe to grind. Because you've been a critic of Israel for years, and I say, well, yes, that's true, but on the other hand, it's probably only someone with my axe to grind, someone who has read the literature, who is familiar with the subject matter, who bothers to look into these areas like JFK's war with Israel over nuclear weapons. And also someone who's identified with the issue and doesn't have to give up their career by daring to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Because I've, I've already got the target on me. You know, I don't, I don't have anything to lose, but, I mean, there's a lot of people who've been writing about the JFK assassination for years and who've been invited to come on television talk shows. The minute they said Mossad, that would be the end of the gravy train for them.
0: <laughs> well, for me, it was a little bit different because I didn't start out with any any idea of uh, any Israeli involvement in yeah. in anything. It was examining the evidence that made it so clear that I, you know, I couldn't
1: deny it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, there's uh, I, I myself, and I, I even say this in Final Judgment. I say that uh, you know years ago, my mother had said to me. <clears throat> She said, why don't you write a book on the Kennedy assassination? And I said, well, there's no... Because she'd read most of the books that I had read just because they were around our house, you know. And I said, well, I said I just don't see any reason to write the book because I think pretty much it's all, you know, said and done. At that point, I was inclined to think it was a CIA faction Mm -hmm. hooked up with the Cubans, you know, and then it went no further than that. You know, and I was like, so why write anything more about it? You know what I mean? Right. You know, and you know it's funny. It's funny. Uh, uh, in in one of the editions of Final Judgment, I only mentioned it in passing, but uh, in, like in the photo section. But Richard Pearl himself, the Prince of Darkness, yes. <laughs> played a part in uh, in uh, instigating the, the 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 phony story that. Uh, E. Howard Hunt was uh, in... Well, E. Howard Hunt may have been in Dealey Plaza, but he wasn't one of the Tramps. You know, they... He, he oh, no, I... Up, he looks an awful lot like the Tramps. But uh, even Mark Lane doesn't believe Hunt was in... And a lot of people misunderstand that about Mark Lane's book, Plausible Denial. They think that Mark contends that Hunt was actually in Dallas on the day of the assassination. Not at all. Uh, but But Mark trapped Hunt into into basically uh, Hunt had things to cover up Yeah. and as a consequence of, you know, he, tells, he told different stories to different people before he got his final story settled as to where he was and what he was doing and whether or not he'd been in Dallas at all so he couldn't get those stories straight and then when Mark got him on the stand and, and tore him to pieces it was such that you couldn't believe anything Hunt said.
3: Yeah. Hunt,
1: But Hunt was involved in some way, but probably not planning to kill Kennedy. He was probably one of the guys who was coordinating this dummy assassination attempt. Yeah. And then, of course, it got turned into the real thing.
0: Okay, let's hold, on. Let's, hold on. Hold let on. Let's me let take one minute break here. Getting back to this subject of... Um, Of Mossad, and uh, uh, you know there's in the Bay of Pigs and so forth. Uh, In this, have you read Have you read Farewell, America?
1: Yes, very interesting book. Um, The origins of it are uh, interesting, murky and interesting. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Well, there was uh, as I was reading this, and I've been and I've been putting huge excerpts of it uh, up on my uh, blog and in my articles on the web. And a reader uh sent me in as a result of reading these these articles sent me a link to uh a speech that John Kennedy made on uh let's see, I think it was April April twenty twenty seventh of nineteen sixty one. Uh, let's see. So the title of the speech was The President and the Press, and it was delivered to the American Newspaper Publishers Association at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York. Yes. And it was ten days after the Bay of Pigs fiasco.
1: Yes, that's an interesting, I've seen that. Somebody, In fact, somebody just sent it to me again recently.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, where he says in there, For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covert means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned. No rumor is printed. No secret is revealed. It conducts the Cold War, in short, with a wartime discipline no democracy would ever hope to wish to match. And when I read that, I realized that what happened between the time John Kennedy authorized the Bay of Pigs invasion at, what was it, 1.30 in the afternoon, and then he rescinded that order, at something like, what, 9.30 at night?
1: Is that what the time frame was, that whole, yeah. Something
0: like that, yeah. That he must have learned something. <laughs> and he was, in fact, declaring war on this, what did he call it, a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy. So John Kennedy was the <laughs> was a conspiracy theorist.
1: Well, this, you know, that's the funny thing about that, that speech by Kennedy, that that couldn't, were that delivered by any uh, any person today, any, any sitting politician today, they would be pulled off the stage with your old classic hook, you know? Right. They would say, uh-oh, this person has gone off the deep end. Uh, we've got a real problem here. Uh, such a thing would n- no politician today would ever dare say that publicly. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it's, it's amazing, you know. And but, but, but I tell you what I, find what is really interesting about that speech is that although, although it was recorded, they, they, they filmed that speech. You, have got to think back in the context of 1963 versus 2006.
0: Uh, forty-three years ago. You
1: well, know, forty-three years precisely. Yeah, you know, back in those days back in those days that that speech was probably never printed anywhere except maybe in some official roster of the president's addresses this week but it was delivered to the press that was a, it what was it the American Newspaper Publishers Association right. Yeah I mean it, he was like literally in the belly of the beast <clears throat> and he was
0: anything. telling them Yeah and the interesting thing about it is is that You know, the whole Bay of Pigs thing was all about the mob, including Meyer Lansky, and and I believe he is specifically mentioned as being primarily concerned about this, wanted Cuba back because it was their hellhole for gambling, for, you know, white slavery, for uh, uh, selling drugs. Yeah, it was. uh, That's what they wanted it back for. That's what the Bay of Pigs was all about. Was getting getting their client state back. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then you know he apparently understood and realized this at some point in that in what was it a a, an eight or nine hour period, and rescinded the orders and 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 then ten days later. He gave this speech.
1: Yeah, this is uh, you know I I, I've, I over the years I've seen and heard little little bits and pieces about various incidents that have taken place uh, in the lives of politicians where you know they have said or done something which was deemed incorrect by the powers that be, mm-hmm. and then. And I I'm talking about little obscure events. Now, I'm not talking about some some blatantly obvious things that you can you know you can expect there to be a response to it. You know, what I mean like you know, like John Connolly was kind of on a roll towards <clears throat> the Republican presidential nomination, was getting big money and, and just getting all sorts of media attention and then he then he raised questions about the power of the Israeli lobby and of course that kind of was the uh, the, 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 the
0: end of his career.
1: Well, yeah, that's that's something real obvious. But but over the years I've seen and heard these little stories about strange events, you know, that happen and this is what I think this is probably what happened to John F. Kennedy. He saw he saw the he saw what it was really all about. I mean, I, I think he truly truly believed that he was going to be a real president. I mean, that you know, this is the kind of makeup I believe that the Kennedy family You know, that was ingrained in them by their father, you know, Mm -hmm. and then then everything, you know, John F. Kennedy's assassinated, and they still thought they were going to get Bobby back in there, and they learned very quickly that they weren't. And, you know, now Ted Kennedy, uh, you know, as I just was talking about this the other day, I, I actually have a great deal of respect for him. I don't agree with him on a lot of political things. I probably agree with him, in retrospect, probably... More with them than I would ever have thought I would have, but, uh, because I always considered myself to come from a conservative background, mm-hmm. but these days I don 't really believe too much in those those divisions anymore for a variety of reasons but, but there's been a great burden on Ted Kennedy because not only did he you know he uh, you think back about, upon the tragedies in his family, and he was he was the one the youngest guy, maybe not the smartest guy, but he's the one who had to assume the leadership of the of the political dynasty and of the of the family. You know, and and, and he's a very smart guy, actually. I've seen him I, I watched him one time walking uh, with some constituents on Capitol Hill. I was I just had to be very close walking and I was listening to him and the guy was discussing legislation and and policy issues you know, with with real uh, fervor, with uh, with uh, with real heart.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas a lot of these guys are just bums who don't know what the hell is going on, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, and they have their they have their administrative assistants <clears to> tell <throat> them what to do and when to do it. But but Ted Kennedy takes himself very seriously. And you know, whatever you know, whatever you think about his politics, you know, you got to give him credit. At least he knows what he's doing
3: yeah. and
1: why he's doing it. And I think that's also one of the reasons why he's been smart uh, in just uh, the family just doesn't talk about the Kennedy assassinations.
0: Well, I think uh, you know from reviewing all the information that I have uh, been going over for oh, quite some time that uh, I think John and Bobby Kennedy, you know, saw that there were many, many things wrong with uh With the American system, with the fact that the the word democracy had been perverted to mean uh, rampant capitalism, you know mm-hmm. dog eat dog mm-hmm. and they decided to use the system itself to get into office to clean it up
1: that's exactly exactly,
0: <clears throat> and there is uh, uh you know are you familiar with john Hughes who wrote uh, wrote a book I believe with uh uh, with the daughter of um, one of the mobsters on the subject of the Kennedy assassination. I forget which which one it was. But, uh,
1: uh,
0: Sam Giancana's daughter.
1: Yeah, Mafia Princess, I believe, yeah. is the name of the book. I may have read that, but I'm not sure. I, I know of the book, but I'm not sure if I've actually read it. Yet.
0: Well, here's what John Hughes says about John and Bobby Kennedy. And, uh, and I'm, I'm reading this just to present the... the the way that they are spinning the Kennedy uh, psyche. He says, Joseph Kennedy taught his kids that they could get away with anything, and no matter what, they could always get away with it. And therefore, we have drug addiction in some of the Kennedy kids. Well, we can get away with it. We'll solve everything. But Bobby Kennedy, oh, many, many instances where he thought he could get away with anything. John Kennedy believing that he could have intercourse with any woman in the world and get away with it. And so I think that there was absolutely one feeling amongst the entire Kennedy clan that whatever we want to do, we can do, and we will get away with it. I think this was the Kennedy attitude. And if Bobby were really smart he would have known and I'm sure he did know about the promise that his father made to the mob if he were really smart he wouldn't go after the mob the way he did but it was very selfish on his part he was going to make his name to get rid of the mob of course it is said that Bobby Kennedy did realize that he in an interesting way was the reason his brother got killed
3: mhm well
1: you know you know that's interesting <laughs> is to, that uh... sick you know, the, I, I think that's absolutely correct because they, they, I mean, you know, just looking at, just looking at that aspect of, of who the Kennedys made enemies with, forget about the Israeli connection, forget about the oil producers, just forget <coughs> everybody, forget the white racists who didn't like Kennedy's policies and civil rights, just look at that aspect of, of the relationship between the Kennedys and organized crime. Now, everybody knows. Let's just leave it at that. Everybody knows that the Kennedys had relationships with the mob, and just even talking about the Italian-American mafia aspect Mm -hmm. of it. Okay. Everybody knows it, and yet we also know that, that Bobby Kennedy, as soon as they got into the White House, they launched this very real war on organized crime. Absolutely. And that is like, I mean, you know, for better or for worse, I mean, that is a betrayal. Of trust. Well, sure, but I it's mean, you know, you know, you might not be betraying the nicest people in the world, but you know, you know, in 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 the world, you know, what is, what are we talking about? Honor among thieves? You know, well, they they just decided, hey, well, we can get away with this.
0: Well, I'm not sure that the, I, I think that it may have been more that they decided we have to use this system in order to take you know take care of this system. We have to bootstrap well, ourselves in with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, no, that's exactly what it came down to. But, you know, there's another interesting element there, too, uh, in regard to this whole issue of, of, of the mafia organized crime. And this is something that uh, uh, Roger Morris and his then-wife, uh, his name escapes me at the moment, I'm getting old here, Roger Morris and his wife, Sally Denton in their book the money and the power which is a very excellent uh, very excellent an excellent history of uh, of Las Vegas and and, and the casino industry and, and very specifically they tie in the Israeli connections to it it's very interesting that they they, they they cross that line and they say how what a, what an important part Las Vegas played in the development of the state of Israel in that book They also go into the whole history of Estes Kefauver's war against the mob and so forth. And what they point out, and I thought this was very interesting, is that so many of the key democratic political machines around the country were under the domination of organized crime elements. And consequently, when the Kennedys began to move against these organized crime elements, they were, in effect, working to take over those Democratic party machines
3: mm-hmm. in
1: key cities around the United States, so there was there the, the, you know the, the, you, you might be able to look at it and say that there might have been there might have been more than just uh, just uh, good government motivations <laughs> behind the Kennedy's drive against organized crime you know there were ulterior let's put it this way if there weren't ulterior motives, there were. Uh, possible gains to be
0: had but then if you look overall at his legislation that you know doesn't really support the view that, that there was an you know a, a negative ulterior motive
1: oh no no i understand what yeah no i'm i'm just saying that but but in the end actually in the end by gaining control of these democratic machines they would have been taking them out of the hands yeah. of negative interests and and presumably using them in the end, well, because it's positive for positive results, right,
0: exactly. because essentially, what Hughes is saying, you know you should have known if you stood up against evil, evil was going to go after you, so you deserve what you got <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: so the you know the the thing is it goes back to what you said, you know we can kill your sitting president, there's nothing you can do about it, you know we're showing you uh showing you and and every uh, world leader around the globe that we can do this, and we can get away with it.
1: And, and that's a, yeah, and that's precise. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what uh, Vincent Salandria wrote uh, a piece. Uh, I may have quoted it somewhere in Final Judgment. I, it doesn't matter if I did or didn't. But he uh, he said that, harkening uh, back to what I was talking about earlier, that his perception was is that the whole Warren Commission cover up was actually designed
3: to fall apart, apart for, right.
1: that, for that very reason. And and if you look at it. In that context, it certainly makes sense. There's you know, another
0: see, thing to think about is, for example, the magic bullet theory. The magic bullet theory is almost identical in every respect to the Boeing 767 that hit the Pentagon.
1: There's, yeah, see, there's a good. That's a good, good parallel. I almost hate to use the term parallel, considering what we're talking about here, uh, physics and so forth. But uh, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. That or or Building Seven. Yeah. In New York, I mean, you know, there, you know, somebody pointed this out the other day that, uh, you know, there, there you have Larry Silverstein talking about pulling it. Right. And it's right in your face. I mean, that it's right there, and and the term "pull it" has a very specific meaning in that particular context. Area. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, it's it's a, it's a very it's a term of art that right. has to do with. Whether a building should stay or should it go, and when you say pull a building, that doesn't mean. Um, well, it means what it means. <laughs> pull it. Well, what we're
0: seeing basically is is uh, the the execution of terror tactics against entire populations, including the world leaders, by a covert group. What uh, what Kennedy called the monolithic and uh, uh, the monolithic conspiracy. And, you know, my specialty is more uh, older history, not so much contemporary history. And it reminds me so much of the institution of the Inquisition and uh, what the uh, Catholic Church did to the Cathars. You know, they would go in and... and, uh, and destroy an entire city, kill every living person in there, and and right away there were an awful lot of conversions to Catholicism, from, <laughs> you know, because yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's even part of the reason why the why the Abu Ghraib uh, uh, torture scandal was leaked. I think it was deliberate. I it's, think it was.
1: That's interesting. In other words, this is what will happen to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, now they know that they do torture. Now they know that they legally can torture. Now they know they can lock you up without uh without, you know, habeas corpus, without due process of law, and you're encouraged to rat on your friends, and that was, you know, one of the chief uh elements of the Inquisition that was invented by uh so-called Saint Dominic. Uh, was to announce that he was coming. Everybody knew what happened, you know, when he came, and that everybody should start to think about, you know, anything they had noticed about any of their friends or neighbors, and to come to make confession and so forth. And
1: not put the fear of God in you, but the fear of Dominic in you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So everybody is sitting there wondering, you know, what does somebody else know about me? You know, what what might they say about me? You know, I better say something about them first before they say something about me and it's and it's essentially an institution of a reign of terror. This is what we are experiencing today.
1: It's I was going to say what the word the word the word to apply to all that is terrorism. Mm-hmm. It's certainly spiritual terrorism, intellectual terrorism. It may not involve bringing a building down, but it's uh, but it's certainly uh mind, you know, mind bending I mean to you know you know to have you turning on your neighbors and wondering you know what you've said to them and uh, mm-hmm. yeah yeah no, it's funny I'll I give you a good example now did I send you a copy of my book The Judas Goats Yes you did okay good okay I was thinking that I had well of course in the, in the Judas Goats I tell the story of how I had uh, gotten to know Roy Bullock who was this uh, undercover informant for the Anti Defamation League and you know I began to in my own mind realize. What I was dealing with, and you know, it's very interesting because, because finally, when my boss said to me, "Well, he's he's supposed to, he's ADL," you know, it was like all that time I had been thinking, "Hmm, I wonder what I've said to him that I shouldn't have." And the next thing Willis Carter said to me was, "What have you told him?" (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you know. And it's like you know, and I'm you know and and that's the whole so i can i can you know in a in a lesser way, I can understand because you know you you your your your, compu- your brain computer you know is running at 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 full speed, you know, thinking, oh, what did I tell him about person a, what did I tell him about person b? oh wait a minute, he told me something about person c, was that inside information from the a d l you know and you're it's like. You know, it's like a springs Springs are sprung, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's a, yeah.
0: Psychological deviants do have a very special knowledge of normal human psychology, and they use it relentlessly against us.
1: Yeah, well, see, you know, what's interesting about this guy Bullock, this ADL guy, is that he apparently, if the news reports I've never asked him about, it, I'm going to call him sometime after I send him a copy of the Judas Code. His number's still in operation. But, <laughs> He apparently was inspired by the book uh, I Led Three Lives for the FBI, or I might be mangling the title. But it's the same book that apparently was an inspiration, either a book or a television show, about a, about a person who was a, a spy within the Communist Party for the FBI. This apparently, they say, was a book or a TV show or whatever that, that Lee Harvey Oswald... Was very into, mm-hmm. and and you know, I and and that's I think probably something you find with a lot of these people who get into that world of being informants, of wearing disguises, you know, pretending to be one thing, and you know, you don't know who they're working for sometimes, and a lot of times they may not knew, know who they are working for, mm-hmm. and I and I think that's precisely what happened to Lee Harvey Oswald, right. I mean, I've, I've actually, you know, I tell you, I can, I can make a strong case if I sit down and work on it for a couple hours that Lee Harvey Oswald was a forerunner of the modern day neoconservatives. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you know, uh, he, he, he could, he could, he could have been a genuine Trotskyite in the employ of the CIA, mm-hmm. who was manipulated by the Mossad, mm-hmm. which may have been acting for a faction within Soviet Russia. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean it, it sometimes you know things are not as cut and dried as they appear to be, you know, and
0: uh well, which also leads us to the to the obvious conclusion that uh that the the bush gang are working for the so-called, you know, communist revolution.
1: Exactly. And you know, see that's the, that's the funny thing about it, you know, people you know, when I was a kid when I first started getting politically oriented, you know, of course it was it was Republican versus Democrat, and then I then I kind of wisened up a little bit, and I kind of said, oh, well, it's really liberal versus conservative, and then I began to see something that maybe it had to do with more power and money, mm-hmm. and then you start digging in a little deeper, and it gets into areas that are beyond the average person's comprehension. Exactly. Yeah. You see, and and you know they and and you know it's funny because they they do these studies of of uh, the development of political awareness in people, you know, starting at you know this age and then it advances to this and this. I I don't think that the average person in the United States, at least, I, I, based upon my traveling. Abroad and my conversations here in this country with people from abroad, I get a sense that, that that non-Americans have a better understanding of affairs in their own country and even really in the United States. They do than, than most Americans. But 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 the, the average American, I would say, on a scale of zero being total ignorance and 10 being you know perhaps the broadest understanding. Most Americans probably don't get beyond level two. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to... You know what I'm saying? I mean, for, for you know, I'm putting <laughs> on that on zero to ten scale, but I mean, the average person doesn't even, I don't think the average person even reaches the point of serious partisanship. No. You know, there's, 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 the, there's the hardcore Democrats and the Republicans. And well, any, there... And, but, but yes, yeah, so, so most Americans are totally out of that realm, and then when you get to try to conceive of the idea that, that George Bush is the leader of the Communist Revolution, mm-hmm. the man who they call the new Ronald Reagan, you know, right. to say that to somebody is just like, they look at you like,
0: what the hell are you talking about? And yet it seems to be true. What do you think about the Bush connection to the Kennedy assassination?
1: Okay, now, the, I think that the Bushes... There's no question about the fact that George Bush, the old man, H.W. H.W. George H.W. Bush was moving in those circles down in Texas and in Miami and the anti-Castro Cuban elements. He had a he was in there somewhere. Yeah. He was in there somewhere, and I think that fact that he was in there somewhere is Part of the reason why he was ultimately elevated to be CIA director and had the inside track in the inner circles
3: Mm -hmm. of the
1: higher elite. Because he he had his, you know, someone once, uh, Ace Hayes, the old publisher of the Portland Free Press, once described, and I thought it was very interesting, it was in a letter to me, described a kennedy assassination as kind of like the attack on caesar everybody stuck their knife in and bloodied their knife and yeah everybody everybody you know all the leaders there had a hand in it you know and they were all implicated that's what i think kind of what george bush he may not have even been in on the planning of it but he was in there somewhere just enough to get his hands get some blood on his shirt sleeves
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know a little splash of blood on there somewhere just enough to incriminate him Right. So, so he was in, a, he was on the inside track somewhere.
0: What do you think about, uh, uh, you know, something that I came across recently that, uh, uh, what's his name, the uh, the professor that's involved in the 9/11 movement? The oh, uh, uh, Fetcher, Fetcher. James Fetcher. that he claims that the Zapruder film is is faked.
1: What, you know, I what's the deal on that? This this is the Zapruder film and his claims about it having been faked. And there's other people who have written on this, too. I am not... Okay, I've gone back and forth on it. On the one hand, I say to myself, "Now nah, let's just accept it for what it is. But, again, it's one of these situations where there are enough people, in my perception, who seem to have some technical knowledge. I have to accept the word that they have the technical knowledge they have. You know, I used to, As I mentioned earlier, I used to fool around with 8mm cameras
3: mm-hmm.
1: when I was a kid. So I have a little bit... When I read about the Zapruder film, I, I'm like a couple steps ahead of anybody who's never fooled around or done any editing with any film.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if you've never done that editing and you don't know that there's 8 frames per second or whatever it happens to be, I forget what it is. Now, if you've never done any of that, you have a handicap in reading about things like that. So So I'm a little bit ahead of the head of the curve on that. But I have to accept the fact or accept the claims of the people that they know about these technical matters which in their view indicates that those films were were forgeries or that they were they were combinations of the various films. And I think they make <clears throat> the kind of case that would lead you to say, well, maybe this should be investigated further. On the other hand, on the other hand, in the bigger picture, the way I look at it is that there's already so many smoking guns that we don't need new evidence to prove something that we already know, that there was a bigger conspiracy than it was than just Lee Harvey Oswald and that the government gave a phony story. If you follow what I'm saying, it's like we we, it's like so what else
0: is new? Well, the one reason that I have some, some hesitation about this is because, well, there's a couple of reasons. One of them is is the fact that the Scrooge film was was purchased and buried. Who was it? Time Life or whoever that they, yeah. they had it in the vaults. And then somehow it mysteriously uh, disappeared. So obviously somebody wanted to leak it. And then it was returned to the vaults. And then the secondhand copy of it uh, uh, was suddenly put out apparently through french or, or russian intelligence sources i'm not sure which uh, the, the rumor is that it was a combination of both it could have been exactly, exactly. and uh, so so that, that that's kind of interesting that uh, that there was some inside um, and and we do see that there are people in these organizations you know like the cia the fbi uh, and so on who who do seem to have consciences who do seem to to have uh, you know benevolent intentions, who are in their jobs because they believe in in right,
3: yeah, exactly, and
0: they do come forward now and again and try to get something out without uh, putting themselves too much at risk. So that's an entire possibility. So that's the first reason. The second reason is is there was television footage from you know of of from another uh, from a distance from the other side of the motorcade.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: And when you see the television footage from the other side of the motorcade, you know, it was being shot from uh, from the other direction. And uh, you see, you know, the exact same motions you see Jackie, you know, getting up and crawling out, you know, across, you know, trying to get the pieces of John Kennedy's head to put them back,
1: him back. On the back of the car. Exactly. Yeah, so
0: so you see that there was a a matching uh, film that was being broadcast apparently at the time, and so it it makes it a little a little difficult to consider that the Supruder film was you know totally falsified though i wouldn't say that it was impossible that uh, that a frame or two might have been messed with, or yeah
1: actually, you know what I was going to say though on the other hand you know uh, you know giving giving the broadest possible leeway to Fetzer and these other people who've who've taken the stand. The other side of the coin is that there's this professor David Rohn, I think he's at the University of Wisconsin. He has written a book about the history of the Zapruder film mm-hmm. and if you read his book, he thoroughly refutes some of the things some of the points that have been raised by by Rohn, or by uh, by Fetzer and some by Fetzer and his associates so so it, that's one of those areas that you know and, and it's funny because even rohn's book. There are many points in his book that I that I find very interesting. I mean, he may, he one of his points that he he emphasizes is is that it, that that's actually Lee Harvey Oswald in that famous Altkins photograph
3: mm-hmm.
1: taken. You see the Kennedy limousine in the foreground, and in the background you see the uh, Texas School Book Depository. Mm-hmm. In my estimation, he presents a very solid case that that was not this gentleman Billy Nolan lovelady but that was in fact Lee Harvey Oswald hmm. standing there on the street but then you see so that I find you know I in that particular book you know I find that particular section of the book thoroughly convincing then I read the stuff where he's talking about uh, about professor fetzer and this aspect of the zapruder film being manipulated or altered or forged or, you know, a combination of various films, what have you. You read that and he presents a pretty solid case there that that at least in when I'm reading it it causes me to question whether or not I should believe what what they say. But then here's the funny part about this book, Professor Roan's book. Um he takes a, a a whole new position uh describing the events of or describing what you see in the Zapruder film. Mm-hmm. Which runs contrary to anything that anybody else has written on the topic. Mm. I, I don't remember exactly the specifics of it, but he has he has an un he takes the position that Kennedy actually you know, everybody that sees the Zapruder film says, Oh, he doesn't move forward, he moves backward because it's obviously a shot from the front. Right. Well Professor Rohn says, "Well, no, actually, this was a shot from behind, but it was fired at a time that Lee Harvey Oswald couldn't have fired it, or something like this." I oh, mean, you know, like I say, so, so he adds a whole new element to the debate of the forensics of the act
0: itself. Oh dear.
1: Yeah. So you know, it's like so. It's like this is one of the problems <clears throat> with so much of the literature. On the Kennedy assessment.
0: It's just like the 9/11 thing. But
1: just like 911, whereas, you know people tend to, it's like going to your apple tree. You know, oh, that's a nice red ripe apple there. Hmm. Well, I like that one. You know, but let's see. Well, that one, that one's got a worm in it. I'm not going to touch that one. But it's from the same tree. Well, this is what I tried to avoid doing in writing Final mm-hmm. Judgment. And most people who are familiar with the literature, who have approached my book. If, you know whether they supported it from the outset or whether they were skeptical, no one has been able to say, oh you have uh, you've done uh, you you've you know you've picked you've picked the right fruit and ignored the things that do, don't go along with your topic. I've tried to lay it all out right and I have not consciously that was my big fear when writing the book itself that I would come across something that would completely contradict my initial thesis, you know, Mm -hmm. and and the thing is, I, you know, I I got into it, I already, I realized within a couple weeks of research and writing combined, that I already had about, I, I was saying to myself, I do have a book here, you know, I was saying to myself, I have the material for a book, but that, there was that horrible thought that one day I would open up a new book.
0: And there would be something you didn't do.
3: You yeah, did.
1: and it, it literally got to the point, you know, that it was a, becoming a very real fear because, you know, in my mind, in all honesty, I'm saying to myself, God, if I if, if I can complete this book and don't find anything, you know, I'll really feel good because in all good conscience, even if I had a 300-page book... And I, left out, I deliberately left out something that I knew contradicted my own findings in my own mind. I couldn't have published the book because mm-hmm. I would have known that somebody else would have found it right. in a minute and been able to say, not call me a Nazi or call me an anti-Semite or a critic of Israel, but somebody could say, well, Mike Piper left out this fact. Which proves beyond any question that the Mossad was entirely innocent, or right. you know what I mean. So I couldn't, have, I couldn't, in all good conscience, have have put the book together. But the funny thing is, even up to the very day, I had my manuscript complete. I was, it's funny, I remember this so clearly. I was sitting, for some reason, sitting on my living room floor. I think I was down there putting the manuscript in a binder. I guess that's why I was sitting on the floor. But I, re- I. I I had, or no, I had, I'm sorry, doesn't matter, I, I had another, I had a binder full of old newsletters that I were putting together, that I was putting together in a binder, and I just happened to open up one of these newsletters, it was published back in like 1971, and there in that newsletter was just another little detail that as far as I was concerned was at least a final, not a final nail in the coffin, but a but an additional nail in the coffin pounding my thesis down even more tightly. You know, and it was like this was the the very day that I was supposed to submit the to the publisher. So I said to myself, Oh my God, well, now I gotta change the page in the book. Right. You know, this is like literally the very day and I just happened to discover this thing in an old newsletter and it was a real real key item, you know, in the in the in the bigger picture. I mentioned it in you can find it in the in the book itself, it had to do with a, a, a strange visit that Jim Garrison got from a from a uh, from an oil man mm-hmm. who was trying to redirect his investigation, or actually try to get him to drop it altogether in return for a federal judgeship. But but like I say, when when this detail came to me, it was like it was just like a culmination of I kept finding details throughout the research that kept me on the same track, and then. When people brought me new information, which sometimes seemed, you know, coming from a different angle or from a different, different realm, you could all tie it together. So I have always felt morally and intellectually comfortable with everything I've written mm-hmm. because, you know, the only errors that have been actually factual errors that have appeared in my book that I'm aware of, most of which I caught myself, you know, where like things like I got dates wrong or or things like that.
0: Yeah, it's easy Nothing. to do.
1: No one has ever come out and said Mike Piper took this quote out of context. Well, now actually, there was there was a a group of librarians, and that's described in the book out in Schomburg, Illinois, Belinda's hometown. The uh, this group of librarians uh, misquoted something that I said, and then refuted their misquotation. <laughs> you know, but. But no one has ever been able to show where I took anything out of context, misquoted anyone, anything like that. And that's why in my book I have this section, you know, uh, show me where I'm wrong, you know, in those old Ellery Queen novels, you know, right. after they'd always lay out all the clues, and, you know, maybe obscure them from you. And then the, then the authors would say, okay, you've seen all the, now it's your chance to solve the mystery. Well, what I've done is said, okay, you tell me where I'm wrong. Show me, show me where I've distorted anything, and all people do is call me names. <laughs> well, I've been, I've been
0: being called names for quite a few years now myself, so I yeah. know what that feels like.
1: Yeah, you know, H. L. Mencken, who's one of my favorite writers, put together a Shimp flexicon. and what <laughs> that is, if you don't know what it is, it's an unusual term. It's a, it's a catalog of, generally, it's a catalog of negative largely negative commentary about oneself
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know compiled by one of, of other things that other people have said about you and mine is growing by the day
3: <laughs> yeah
0: well i i've got i've got a few thousand pages myself
1: yeah i am going to i'm going gonna, I'm gonna to publish a piper ship flexicon one day you know it's, it's sad because i actually you know i'm a bit of a book collector years ago i could have had a numbered first edition of that very rare Menkenshim flexicon and I I passed it up I said well I'll pick up another one sometime you know I yeah, can right. find one yeah right exactly. in your dreams <laughs> that doesn't happen that way
0: <laughs> well there's one, one little thing about this uh, this issue of which direction John Kennedy's head went at, which, at, at what point that uh, is somewhat clarified uh, according to James Files in the Wim Dankbar film and he says you know that he was watching through the scope Mm-hmm. And he, you know, and, and at the moment that he had his clear shot, he said that, you know, he was he was aiming, uh, you know, and, and it's really really horrifying to read it, and it upsets me to even talk about it. But he says he was aiming for the eye, and just as he squeezed off the trigger, the head moved suddenly from behind, and he and he heard the shot, and he realized that the other shooter had shot almost simultaneously. The head went briefly forward, and then when his shot hit, almost, you know, fractions of a second afterward, that's what, you know, made the head go
1: backwards. That makes, that's something, you know, um, Josiah Thompson, in his book uh, Six Seconds in Dallas, mm-hmm. had uh, had basically put forth that thesis, that there, had, that there was first a shot, from the rear mm-hmm. that came just moments, you know, I shouldn't even say moments before.
0: Fraction, nanoseconds.
1: Yeah, before before the, the headshot. And that, to me, with what minuscule, what minimal knowledge of ball- ballistics that I have just from being around guns and from, you know, just from, you know, again, having just a little bit more knowledge, you know, from just being around guns, that made sense to me. And, and when you consider the fact, as, as we were talking about earlier, that the likelihood that, you know, bear in mind that the whole time frame of the actual assassination, you know, it takes, it takes longer to talk about it in one sentence, one very brief declarative sentence, uh, than, than it really actually happened in real time. When you have multiple gunmen firing from several different directions, there were inevitably one shot from one area would obscure a shot from another area right you now they, they you could have had six or seven eight shots ten shots all in such a time frame and echoing and so forth that you really couldn't you know people in different areas would hear
0: different things
1: different things yeah and you know as we all know eyewitness testimony a dime a dozen <laughs> i mean you know so so i've always thought that was a very good possibility you know i, I really didn't talk about files you mentioned him earlier. I saw a video interview with him a long, long time ago mm-hmm. before uh, Dankbar had gotten involved with it directly. And my imp- people have often asked me what I thought about it. I've always said, first of all, that there's no real contradiction of what he says with anything I've written in my book.
0: No, absolutely not. Yeah, no,
1: it, it fits right into the framework of, <laughs> of what I've written. So... So the, I've never considered. The only uh, objection
0: I have is that it it focuses so much on the mob shooters and leaves out other elements that, uh, um, well, you know, it,
1: it, it, even even in that respect, though, Larry, you know what I would say there is that the reason why it focuses on it is because that's all he was privy to. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he was he was involved in a particular section of section of the conspiracy for whatever one of a better way to put it or he he was certainly not uh, uh, tuned into everything that was going on in all sorts of different places so and you know as far as his credibility is concerned you know i I guess I you know I, I've always thought I've been a pretty good judge of character now you watching someone on video is not like being. You know, in the room with someone, right. meeting them, and so forth. But, but you know, I there have been times where I've watched people, you know, you know, on television or you know, on videos, and I say, well, I think he's lying. Right. I think he has another agenda. You get a
0: feeling about you it.
1: You get a feeling. I didn't get.
0: I didn't get that feeling either.
1: Yeah. See, that's what I mean. I didn't. Uh, I I I thought he he came across to me as a guy who had something to say. Uh, his. His ultimate benefits from it are going to be minimal, if
0: anything. I mean, because
1: the guy is spending the rest of his life in jail, and he probably, he probably can't make any financial benefit from it. And no. whatever family he has, if he has any at all, you know, I, I don't. Like I say, I I wasn't ready to dismiss this guy.
0: And I'm not either.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. Now, and and if there's someone, I, generally, if someone comes. A, Around with some claim of, of some sort, whether it's about you know JFK or Oklahoma City. There's some people who I, right offhand, I'll either say, well, I think he's lying, or I think he's exaggerating, you know. And then there are these people, you know, there, these people are a dime a dozen too, who want to place themselves in into into an a, a historic event, right. you know. It's only on the periphery. In this case, this guy's saying he pulled the trigger. I didn't get the. I didn't. You know. I mean, I haven't met the man, and even if I met the man, you know. It's a maybe, fascinating maybe he's video. Maybe such a good liar that I'd believe him in person.
0: It's it's a fascinating video, and and uh, I think that it's it's well worth watching. And yeah. there's there's quite a quite a few other uh, bits of footage in there. Uh, you know, from different people, uh, including the uh, the forensic uh, pathologist, you know, who goes on to some extent about the magic bullet theory, and he even uh, exhibits the bullet that supposedly fell out of uh, uh, John Connolly on the stretcher that they say, you know, this is the magic bullet and then he shows samples of bullets that were test-fired, you know, the same type of bullet, <laughs> yeah. and then and then he shows all the x-rays of the uh, fragments that were taken out of John Connolly's body, and then you compare them to the bullet, which isn't missing any said fragments, you know, and you come to the realization that this, I mean, right there you have essentially, no pun intended, the smoking gun.
1: The sm- yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes, so... You know, I tell you the the, the whole uh, the, this whole Kennedy thing. You know, there it has generated my attitude towards it is every book. I don't think there's been ever any book since I've written Final Judgment. I should put it this way: there has never been a book that has been that has come out that I haven't read you know mm-hmm. i am not prejudiced against it because i think oh well you know this is you know competition or
0: no you're always looking for more information yeah,
1: i have bought the only the only one i haven't bought is this is that i can on, honestly think about it i just thought of it the other day is the the book by uh james hmm he actually he actually bought a copy of final judgment from me my book final judgment from me and i you know just got behind because i always have so much to do he has a new book out in which he just kind of reflects upon his experiences as having been one of the people who was actually one of the—he's the lone survivor of the people who were wounded in Dealey Plaza that day, or at least that we know about. But, but, uh, but no, I, I kind of in in the area of JFK research versus and and every other area of controversy, I like to read everything that I can get my hands on. Yeah. And and have the time to read because. There are even books out that I that I there's some books that I think are obviously blatant disinformation. Yeah. Then there are other books out there by very sincere people who um, who in their own ways, you know, the, the 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 book might be 300 pages long, and I might dismiss 299 pages of the book
0: right.
1: as a rehash of things that I've read 20 times in you know 20 times in. Mm-hmm. Twenty different books, but there might be one page with a little bit of analysis Very or important a data bit of commentary mm-hmm. that causes me to stop for a minute and think, you know, and say, "Hmm, well, that ties in with what I believe what is <coughs> written," or it might cause me to say, "Well, wait a minute, uh, hmm, is this a problem as far as my book is concerned?" And more often than not. You know, I I double check on what I've written and I come away satisfied and say, okay, I did all right here. Yeah. You know, and then and then there's some there's a couple books out that are just so such obvious
0: crap. Hit so like pieces. This
1: woman who wrote a book about Jim Garrison that was just so full of crap that that it was I, I can't think of the woman's name. And then of course Joan Mellon now has come out with kind of a book to to uh counter that book but 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 on the whole you know most of, there's a lot of good people out there who've been who you know sincere people i'll tell you i'll tell you who's an interesting writer who's got a lot of good insights he's a, a british guy named smith douglas smith mm-hmm. um it's it's kind of a just an average name and it do, it doesn't have a it's not one of these pretentious names like Michael Collins Piper. It's a name like, uh, maybe, like, I think it's something like John Smith or Daniel Smith or whatever. Anyway, he's written several books on the Kennedy assassination and have gotten some, they, they've they been in the bookstores, the chain bookstores. And I get the impression from this guy, here's a sincere guy who's out there. He doesn't really have... He doesn't. He, he doesn't have an agenda. He's uh, he's open to, uh, to 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 try to he's in one of these the quote unquote sincere truth seeker mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and see that's that's a good thing because there are people out there like that who who really are who really are open to it. You know, and it's amazing to me. I found you know since since my book came out that I don't know how many letters I've gotten from people. Letters back in the days when people could still write letters, but uh, letters from people saying that how much of an impact the Kennedy assassination had on their lives. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I used to read about that in books, and it always was kind of distant to me. But then I get letters from people. You know, like this one guy. It's it's funny. One of one of my biggest supporters is a guy who is he's a very well-known professor in the world of uh, Indonesian studies.
3: Mm-hmm. And the
1: way he got to be that way was because he was part of the first Peace Corps unit that was sent out in the Kennedy administration, and I think it was to Indonesia, mm-hmm. or something like that. I mean, you know, but but the guy, he's retired now <laughs> in Hawaii and everything, you know. And Kennedy's assassination had, he met Kennedy right before they went out on their, you know, in their unit Kennedy's assassination had an impact in his life and then this other guy who I write about in Final Judgment Steve Froge I mean he was going out and he was getting ready to join the Peace Corps and Kennedy was assassinated he was so inspired by Kennedy he was going to join the Peace Corps Kennedy dies he turns around and he says I'm going to join the Marines People well, the, actually, you know, I don't know if people still react that way. Well, the funny
0: it, thing is, is I think that, uh, you know, it was it was the masses of people that were hurt by Kennedy's death.
1: Yeah. See, this is this is something that 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 I guess, like I say, I had read about, you know, and seen on television. But you know, it wasn't until a couple years ago that. Um, and that particular night, I'd had a few drinks in me, to, mm-hmm. to be completely honest. But I, I happened to put on a video of uh, of the coverage of the Kennedy assassination,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I was watching the funeral.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know if I would, if this would happen, if I'd been completely sober or not. But I'm not one given to tears.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But I broke down. I, I think it was at that that particular time. And then later. Later, I said to myself i'm going to watch that again, sober, and I had the same reaction. I think it took that long for me to realize what kind of impact kennedy's assassination really had
0: on the world
1: on on yeah, on the world itself,
0: yeah, and it was I, isn't it amazing that a group of sleazy, slimy, greedy uh, psychopathic bottom feeders yeah, yeah, can right. sit around a table in a restaurant with a few drinks and talk trash and make decisions that literally impact the entire rest of the world.
1: Yeah, and you know, you see, that's the whole thing. We are literally talking about a about a small handful of people. Mm-hmm. How
0: many copies of your book have you sold, or is that a state secret?
1: No, final judgment. I, actually, it's a good question. Final judgment has sold, or copies have been distributed um, in the numbers of somewhere between 45,000 and 50,000. Excellent. Excellent. the, the The reason why I can't give you a specific figure is because our own figures on what we have done here in this country are, you know, incomplete. Mm-hmm. And then, also the book is in distribution in Japanese right and in malay and in, in, in an English language edition well, those are very good numbers yeah oh no they but yeah, when you consider the fact that the the and an, the average non fiction book that is published sells a maximum of about ten thousand copies mm-hmm. it's done pretty well <laughs> exactly
0: I, I mean, think this is excellent yeah <laughs>
1: it's been over ten years now, but i mean but but you know, I knew from the beginning that it was going to be a while, you know. I mean, we we sold almost 7,000 copies when we first announced the book. So it, it got out there, but it took a long time for people to... Start talking about it. Right, directly.
0: word of mouth.
1: Yeah, I, 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 yeah. You know, if
0: you don't have a major distribution contract with a big name publisher, you know it's very difficult. Exactly, and and I never. So that's extremely long. good for for a, a book of that type, and hopefully uh, you're going to get some more orders uh, from from our listeners. What is the contact information for people who want to order copies of your book? Uh, well,
1: they can just go right to uh, the American Free Press website at AmericanFreePress.net.
0: AmericanFreePress.net? That's
1: it. And know, or uh, the, uh, the address of American Free Press in Washington. It's in Washington, D.C. It's on Pennsylvania Avenue, which is easy to remember, so give the exact street address on Pennsylvania Avenue. It's at 645 Pennsylvania Avenue, Southeast, just SE, capital S as in Sam, E as in Edward, Southeast, Washington, D.C., 2003.
2: We would like to thank Michael Collins Piper for talking with Laura. You can order his book, Final Judgment, as well as the many other books he's written, from the website of the American Free Press at AmericanFreePress.net or You can write to him or them at American Free Press, 645 Pennsylvania Avenue, Southeast, Washington, D.C., 20003. To discuss this podcast or any of the stories that appear on the Signs of the Times pages, you can come to our forum. Just follow the link from the homepage, www.signs-of-the-times.org.